With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey everyone, John Wertheim here. It's this week's Sports Illustrated Tennis Podcast. This week's guest, Vince Van Patten, former top 25 player, beat John McEnroe, also an actor for more than 50 years, has been in everything from Love Boat to Baywatch, and he has a new film out that he wrote and stars in, Seven Days to Vegas. Not a tennis film, but uh, a fun film that's gotten some nice reviews, and we're going to be talking about tennis, we're going to be talking about the entertainment industry, and a uh, good all-around conversation with... Uh, a real character, Vince Van Patten. Let's bring him in now. Where where am I getting you? Where are you? I'm in Los Angeles. You're up early. I appreciate that. You know, I get up early. I get up at six a.m. anyhow, so uh, uh, I go to work a little in a little bit for some studio work for the World Poker Tour. But I'm always up. And where are you? I am. Uh, I'm in New York, where you were born. Oh, great. Um, but it's it's yeah. three hours later. I um I was looking. I, I'm thinking your your IMDb page runs circles around your. ATP, uh, your ATP bio, but your ATP oh. bio is pretty strong. I um, I uh, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking you're the only person to have beaten John McEnroe and have had a recurring role in Baywatch. <laughs> That's got to be correct. <laughs> That's funny. Give me your backstory uh, because I I mean you were a child actor. These these credits start very early, and then yeah. you play tennis. How'd you switch over? Yeah, you know, I grew up in Long Island um, for the first 12 years of my life, and we played very little tennis there. Um, there were two little little uh, tennis courts. They were almost black tar by the railroad tracks, and for some reason, no one played tennis back then, and uh, my father just loved exercise. He was like the only one in the village back then, a grown-up, that played tennis, and he almost couldn't get a game of tennis with any of the, the adults, because... Back then, the adults just weren't doing exercise, so he'd play with kids, and he kind of inspired us all to get to the fire department to these two stupid courts and play tennis. And then we would go out to, um, some one summer, uh, uh, a guy in the neighborhood said, Dick, you uh, we got to go to the U.S. Open. It's at Forest Hills, you know? And my father said, okay, they'd come along. So he brought us along. I was about nine years old, my two brothers, and uh, I just uh, took a loving to the game. I went to that West End Tennis Club and saw Billie Jean King and Arthur Ashe and Stan Smith and mm-hmm. Jimmy Connors play on these grass courts, these beautiful black grass courts. And by the way, back then, 
you could go right up to the court, walk right up to the court. No one was watching, it seemed like. And as little kids, we'd squeeze in there and I'd watch these players play. And that kind of inspired me to play the game of tennis. Um, so long story short, um, I, I never had any lessons like that. Moved to California at the age 12. I was also an actor. My father, you know, was an actor, and he his agent said, "Hey, if your kids want to act, they have a uh, they seem like they're going to be outgoing and they would have a good look. So try it." Anyway, I started getting a lot of work as an actor too, commercials and TV shows. So when I came to California, I did both. I was a child actor, uh, and I played tennis on the side. Never had any formal lessons. We played at a public park called uh, Poinsettia Park in Hollywood. And uh, eventually my father said, would you like to play? You should play a tournament. I said, yeah, okay, I want to play a tournament. So I play this Southern California sectionals. I play this kid in the first round, Walter Redondo. And I, unbeknownst to me, uh, because I thought I was pretty good at the time. I'm about 12, 13 years old. And uh, unbeknownst to me, he's a top seed, and he beats me 6-1, 6-0. I get wiped off the court. He's the greatest junior of all time. And... Uh, but it was encouraging because he, even though I got beat so bad, I just something inside me said, I, you know, I love this game, and I, maybe someday I can come back and beat that kind of player. That's All right, amazing, so I play though. junior tennis. Yeah. I also act. I, I start getting a lot of work as, a, as an actor, you know, as a kid actor, and I did every TV show there was, Bonanza's, High Chaparral, uh, you know, you you name it, uh, every every Ironside and. Uh, all these TV shows, and I never was out of work. I was actually under contract to Universal as a child actor, and they put me in a series with um, uh, George Papard called The Bravos, and uh, I would get every job I had. So I basically couldn't concentrate on tennis or schooling, really. Uh, I was just a working actor, and I, I did two TV series. One was called Apple's Way. The other was called Three for the Road. As I got older, never out of work. Uh, in the meantime, I would actually play tennis on the wall, outside the studio wall, you know, and hit against the wall, you know, like at lunchtime, and that would distract the shooting inside, so they'd say, Dad, shut him up, get him, get, take the tennis racket out of his hand. Uh, so that's kind of a combination of, of, of my tennis and acting. Uh, I was never a top-ranked junior, but I loved the game. I got beat by everybody. In fact, I don't think I was ranked in Southern California until the 16s, and I think I was ranked 35 or something in the 16s, which is terrible. In the 18s, I still wasn't much better, and uh, I didn't get much of a ranking. I couldn't even get into the national tournaments. I was getting better. Um, I got physically stronger. I was tired of losing. I started weightlifting, which everyone said, don't weightlift. You can't weightlift. That's, gonna, that's terrible for a tennis player. But I didn't care because I knew inside it made me feel good. It made me feel bigger, stronger, faster. And so I didn't listen to them, and my results got better. Another thing in tennis that maybe a better player was I read a book when I was 14 years old on Bobby Riggs, who okay. was the court hustler. And uh, he beat Margaret Court, of course, and lost to Billie Jean King. And I kind of idolized him because I always loved gambling, and I knew he was a gambler. And, and I read his book called um, um, uh, The Court Hustler. And in the book, he tells about all the things he did in tennis, and it was great. But at the end of the book, he has a chapter on how to become a better tennis player. And in the end, it says, play airtight tennis. And I listened, I read that closely, and it said, don't miss a ball, make your opponent miss. Never give away a point. And I was very erratic before that. I didn't know. I was just slapping balls around. I never had any lessons. And so I listened to that, and I instantly got much better from 14 to 15 to 16, a lot better. I just threw the ball back and ran everything down and made them miss. So Bobby Riggs was a big instructor. I read about how to get better, and it did help me. 
You realize uh, what a crazy story anyway. this is. What's that? You realize how nuts. This, this is a crazy story. You realize this. I do, I do, and the more I, the older I get, I realize, geez, that was such a long shot. It just wasn't supposed to happen, and uh, but, but I love tennis, and uh, eventually, I got beat up so much, and people never, they never ever. Once I remember hanging out with a bunch of kids, fifteen years old, all the tennis players, we were sitting around, and they said, "What are you going to do when you grow up?" And everyone said their thing, and I said, "I'm going to be a tennis pro," and they looked at me, and they all started laughing. And well, you know, you can't be a tennis but You're crazy. You know, you stink. You're no good. And I just to that day I went, okay, I'll show him. I'll show him that type of thing. So it was all out of anger and revenge that I kept myself going. And uh, I still didn't have much of a chance. I didn't get any college scholarships or anything like that. And uh, maybe I would have gone to college or played for a team. I didn't know what I was going to do. You know, my acting was in a transition. Was I going to be an actor later on? Could I get acting jobs? I don't know. Or could I play tennis? And something happened out there. I just hung in there, hung in there, hung in there. And all of a sudden, I started breaking through when I was about 19 years old on the summer circuit in Florida, on the American Express summer circuit. And I think I won 24 matches in the smaller circuit out of 27. And I went from, on the ATP ranking, 500 in the world to number 38 in the world. And that same summer, I went on to be Tom Ocker and Stan Smith, the same guys I looked up to when I went to Forest Hills at age 9 and 10. I was playing them, and I was beating them. It was like a dream. I couldn't believe it. And all of a sudden, I said, I can do it. I can beat anybody. I had this confidence. And I, I was the Rookie of the Year in 1979, the ATP Rookie of the Year. And then I went on the next few years and stayed in the top 50, and then I beat John McEnroe and uh, had a lot of big, big wins, had a lot of injuries, played on the circuit, I think, about 10 years, uh, ups and downs. It is great when you're winning, but horrible when you're losing. It's the worst. You know, li- you know it, it was very lonely back then because you just did it on your own. I didn't have anybody traveling with me or anything like that. So, uh, so I'm glad that was over, that part of my life, but it proved that I could do it. I, I always felt I could be number one. When I was going good at beating McEnroe, I started thinking, I'm going to be number one. And I overtrained. I went to the point where I, I got obsessed and I would practice for five hours. I overtrained and I broke down. I had some big injuries and I tried to get past them. So that's my tennis story. But, uh, and then went back to Hollywood after that in my 30s. And uh, another thing about though, tennis I think is kind of interesting is when you're 30, everybody's saying, oh, you're, now you're getting old. When are you going to retire? When are you going to retire? And back then, I didn't have or anybody around me to say, don't listen to them. You're in great shape, which I was. You know, you're not going to retire. Just get yourself back out there. I could play to 40, and I could have, and maybe that would have been better. Maybe it wouldn't have. I don't know. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Yeah, you're an era too late. I feel like Vince Van Patten needs to option the Vince Van Patten story. This is great. You're a late bloomer. You're hitting off the wall at Universal. You don't yeah. have formal training except for a Bobby Riggs book in your a top 30 player who's beating uh, John McEnroe and Vitas Carolitis and Crickstein and Stan Smith in, uh, in ATP level matches. That's a wild yeah. story. I, uh, I don't know if it that happens. I don't know if that happens today. You, you play longer than 30 today, but I'm not sure you uh, you're a teenager hitting balls against the wall and suddenly become a top 30 pro. 
That's a wild it, it, Almost impossible. That's why I try to tell young kids when they're playing or anybody in life, don't believe them. Just do it yourself. If you love something and you put your mind to it, yes, it's got to be brutally tough, but you can do anything you want, really, if you need it. If you need it bad, if you want it bad enough. Were uh, acting and tennis, were those, were those parallel careers, or did they play off each other? I mean, is it, is it too simplistic to say, uh, boy, lessons learned at the back lot at Universal and on the set of uh, Love Boat and Gunsmoke helped you when you were out there on the court, or were these two separate silos? Uh, I think, uh, you, you know, in acting, you've got to have great concentration, focus. You've got to be good. You've got to be talented, too. Um, and you've got to take those nerves and put them behind you, you know, so that you can be involved in the part. Uh, tennis, you've, people can hit the ball. People hit great in the warm-up. People can play great during the middle of the match. But at the end of the day, do they have the guts and the heart to execute the big shot at the right time? Because we all know it is won by one or two big points. Uh, you know, maybe you get unlucky and miss that line that day, and that'll make the difference against another great player. But it takes the guts and the heart to not choke. I think most players are going to get tight. It's only the top, top players that don't get, they get tight, but they know how to execute under that tightness. So I always felt like I would come up with a big shot, and I always reminded myself to, on the bigger point, even move faster, get my legs moving faster, do one thing. Um, so I don't know. I think I think there's a lot of lot to that, a lot of similarities. What um, I'll, I'll name drop, and uh, I've gotten friendly with um, with Ralph Macchio, and before he did Karate Kid, he was on Eight, Eight is Enough, and uh, speaks glowingly of your dad. He says uh, uh, he was Tom, Tom Bradford on Eight is Enough was uh, yeah was, was your dad. He um, but he, but he said your, your your dad in real life was basically the same figure who. Uh, who was great with him. But I, I'm curious what your dad made of this, who obviously was anchored in entertainment and filmmaking. And um, I, what, what was yeah. it like for him when you said, you know what, I'm going to put this acting thing on hold and I'm going to go chase points in uh, in Tokyo this month? Uh, he wasn't even aware of it, really. I mean, he was just like, oh, yeah, sure, do whatever you want. Um, <laughs> great father, first of all, so I'm not just saying that. Um, but the best, because in life, he only acted so he could run to the racetrack and, and bet the horses and have fun and jump into the ocean and play tennis. <laughs> I mean, um, his whole thing was tennis in the morning, um, poker in the evening, racing in the afternoon. And he used to sing that every day while he was playing tennis. He'd watch him play tennis. <laughs> and he'd sing that little tune. So he loved life. He loved his acting, but he didn't love his acting. He did his acting so he could do those other things. Anyway, when he put us on the tennis court, we'd be hanging out as young kids at the public courts watching him play, and he was a hack. He did it just because of, I mean, he, he, he learned to serve at the International House of Pancakes. I mean, it was that bad. He would just chop, but he would beat good players. He would aggravate them because of his steady game. But uh, along the way, you know, he never believed that myself and my brother, who was also a t- ATP ranked player could really make it big in tennis and, and why should he you know we didn't have unbelievable junior results or anything like that but once i did make it out there it became a whole different animal he couldn't believe it he was shocked and he would show up at all the big matches and and everything but i say uh, he got carried away after a while because then he got so into it and so excited that i was doing it on the on the circuit that i remember walking off at the US Open one time uh, after practicing for about hours drenched with sweat and he goes oh so Vinny are you, are you quitting I said what do you, what do you mean I'm done with my practice of the day he goes oh 
He goes, oh, okay, you sure you shouldn't be out there more? I said, no, Dad, I've practiced a lot, actually. I'm exhausted. He goes, uh, yeah, that's okay. He goes, but I noticed that Johan Creek is on court 11. He's been out there a little bit longer, right? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he got carried away, but he did it in love. He wasn't like a crazy father that way. He just wanted me to do better. He thought being out there, you know, was better. But uh, listen, he also was a degenerate gambler. He loved gambling. He taught me how to gamble and read the racing form and play poker at age eight on top of everything else. And I was playing in his poker game when I was 15 and 16. So he taught me many good things about life. He loved life. Uh, he was terrific. Is that uh, your, you know, you did, did your time on the poker tour and seven days to Vegas uh, sort of is, is a love letter to uh, the world of degenerate gambling. Is that, is that where it all started with Tom Bradford? Yeah, John, I'll tell you, yeah, I, um, he taught me poker, and then when I came back from the tennis circuit in my 30s and 40s, I started up a poker game because I was good at poker. I loved it, and um, it, the game in the San Fernando Valley in L.A. became a big game. It started becoming this big underground game, and it was a lot of fun. There was ups and downs, and I made this movie called Seven Days to Vegas about this game that grew, and it's not about poker at all. It was about the players, the players that played with were bigger than life. They were fun people. And we would bet on anything. Now, here's the thing. I love the genre of movies about gambling and hustlers and all that. Just love it. But usually they go to a very dark side, and it's not that exciting to me. My life in gambling is completely different. I saw fun. I made bets that I couldn't believe. We had laughs. We had ups. We had downs. And this craziest bet that I ever made, uh, and it's in the movie, is that my character, this character that I play called Duke Madsen, has to walk from L.A. to Las Vegas, 280 miles, in seven days. That really happened. And he bets everybody in the party, and they all follow him to see if he's going to fail or not. And that's seven days to Vegas. I like to describe it as the hangover meets the sting, and it's out there right now on VOD, iTunes, and Amazon, so everybody can see it, and it's doing very well. And I've been devoting the last five years of getting this film made, and, and it's finally done, and it's getting great reviews. Richard Roper is raving about it, film critic. So uh, that's, that's how this is happening. Oh, by the way, part of it's fictionalized, so people say, oh, did you exactly do the bet? I, you know, I made this bet. I'm not going to give details away. Um, but it's a terrific movie called Seven Days to Vegas, and you can get it now. And you, uh, you know, let's let's be clear too. You you wrote this and you starred in it. Yeah, yeah, I starred in it. My brother Jimmy is also in it. My wife Eileen Davidson from Housewives, uh, Beverly Hills, and and Young and the Restless is also in it. She plays my wife. She's great in it. Ross McCall, uh, Don Stark, a lot of great ensemble cast. Um, We had a blast making it, and um, it's out there for the world to see. I just showed it to a premiere in Las Vegas to all the big poker players like the Bronsons, you know, Doyle and Todd Bronson, and they love the film. Um, so even if you're not a gambler, you'll appreciate it because it's about colorful characters, bigger than life. It's about hustles and cons and fun. And that's the world of gambling I know, and that's why I wanted to show. So I uh, wrote this with my writing partner, Steve Alper, and uh, like I said, you can get it on Amazon and iTunes. Today it is doing terrific, and it's a lot of fun. And like, a little tennis in there too. By I was the way, I gotta say you got to get some tennis in there. Did you? Um, yeah. How'd you, how'd you like working with your wife? Had you done that before? Love it. She's mixed, great. Mixed doubles. You know, you done Eileen that before. Davidson. Um, she's a top actress. Two Emmys. So she's won. And uh, so I get the script. And we have it all done. We're about to shoot in five weeks. And I go, okay, honey, we have some good scenes between us. You know, let, can we let's run these lines and really kind of work it? She goes, what? What? Not running any lines till I go to the set. 
all of a sudden she becomes a diva, you know? I go, what do you mean? She goes, no, that's not the way I work. <laughs> now, I'm kind of embellishing a little bit there. She, but we didn't rehearse because she's the kind of actress that needs to do it on the set. I like to grind away and mix it up and do that. So we do go to the set. We didn't rehearse, and we were probably doing that. But she's a character. She's great. Uh, in the movie, she plays my wife, who is actually in on the whole thing. She helps make the phone calls and all that stuff. And... Um, I won't say whether I won't give story points away about how she feels about the walk to Vegas, but she's great in the picture. And uh, funny thing, also uh, along the way, you have to cut. At the end of the day, you you got to cut scenes to make the thing fly. And um, I came home one day realizing a couple of our scenes we needed to edit a little bit. And uh, she, before I could even open up my mouth, she goes, "I know what you're going to say. You're going to say you're going to cut some of my scenes." And I said, "Well, you know." She goes, "Do it." She goes, "I don't care." She goes, just make the best movie you can. She goes, I don't oh, care nice. about anything like that. So she's wonderful that way, and she's a great actress. And uh, it's nice to get to you know have your wife play you know be in the movie and, and act with each other. I'm looking. Really I, nice. I see two things. I see that it's it's 92 minutes. So you uh, you pared that down pretty good. That uh, yeah. yeah. I hate movies that keep going on yeah, and exactly. on, and they. I always feel like even great directors. Hey guys, you could have taken a little bit more out of there. Um, so my brother and I, we did the final edit. We just like to tighten, tighten, tighten. So you, you know, so you can't even get a popcorn. That's that's the kind of movie I like to see. You know, just keep them no in their seats, exactly. keep them entertained, make it fly. Don't take it too seriously. No self indulgence, and that's what Seven Days to Vegas is. I'm looking at your IMDb. You got, you got to you got to tighten up this IMDb page. It says was rumored in the tabloids to be romantically linked to Farrah Fawcett in the 1970s that started because they shared a love for playing tennis. I'm glad tennis wow. got into your IMDb page, but uh, um, <laughs> how, how long did it take you to shoot it? Okay, so we did Seven Days to Vegas uh, in 18 days, which is not too much, and then we took it out afterwards and said, you know what, we need some great desert shots. We need drone shots. We need some extra scenes. So we went out to the desert for five extra days, and we did some more stuff. So basically, okay. twenty-three days, which could've is pretty quick at, these uh, days. Could done that at Indian Wells. Um, let me ask you. Let me ask you a question about. Um, it, it sounds like you. You like me. We. You know. You, you like games of chance, and uh, it sounds like you. You go fairly libertarian on, on prop bets, and tennis is discovering a, uh, a a big market for wagering, but that sort of balances with integrity issues. Um, so a. How much gambling went on when you played? And B, thoughts thoughts in general about how sports can capitalize on the unpredictability and the fun in gambling, but also, you know, t- tennis has had some integrity issues like other sports, and uh, it seems like yeah. a persistent challenge for, for the sport. What do you think? Yeah, it's a tricky subject. Um, yeah, I would love to bet on tennis, and I'm, I'm a good handicapper once I put my mind to it, to tennis, and uh, most ex-pros are going to be. Um, but I think the... Um, what was the first, the first part of the question know, you were when, asking? You know, when you were when you were playing, were there uh, yep. were you okay. guys were, were there any, right. any wagers going on? <laughs> when I was playing, uh, I love poker, of course, and I would bet. Uh, I'd go to every tournament that had a racetrack around it. My father would always say, "Oh, you're going to be in Cincinnati, okay? There's River Downs right around. <laughs> you got to go to River Downs, the racetrack, okay?" I listened to everything he said. So I would go to the racetracks around the ATP tennis tournaments. That's true, uh, which was fun. But I also did bring a set of chips, and two decks of cards with me in case I could get a poker game going. Very tough back then. Um, 
Ken Flack, he recently passed, a great doubles player and a great guy. He would play Robert Seguso. I'd get him at a poker game. Uh, Donnelly, uh, Brad Gilbert, a little bit. My buddy Brad. You know, so I did scrounge up a little game, but the guys never really took to it. Back then, no one really understood poker. Um, actually, we played one charity rock and roll tennis tournament in Atlanta, and I, Johnny Mack was in the back, and I, I wound up, hey, guys, you want to play poker? Okay. So John McEnroe, we were all playing some poker in the back, and Mack was pretty good. Mack was pretty good. Um, but generally speaking, I couldn't get a good poker game going. Um, no one bet on their matches, like in practice. I would have loved to have a little action to pump you up a little bit more, but that just didn't happen. Now, coming to today, I know there's a big line out there, and people are betting all the time. I think it's terrific. And the first few years that we were doing it, like 12, 13 years ago, I was seeing some overlays and really good bets, and I was betting with them, and I, I did quite well. And then they wised up. I don't know who they got in there, but they got some great handicapper working for them. And now they're very, very tough spreads. And the middles, as you know, if you're a gambler, the middle is just too big for betting tennis to make some money. So it's a tricky proposition, but it is fun to have a little money on a, on a bet. So I hope they can clean it up and... Uh, I'm sure they will, uh, because I think it might be good for the game. No, um, I mean I think it's something every sport is is wrestling with. Tennis is a little, you know, individual sports are always going to be trickier than team sports. Um, yeah. But uh, what what's your relationship with the sport now? Do you play? Do you go to you go to Indian Wells? What's where's tennis sort of figure in your life? I think first of all, I love watching it. It's better than ever. These guys, I have so much respect for them. Their endurance, their flexibility, what they're doing, how they're hitting the balls out there, amazing. I love to play. I've had some issues with my knees, and I'm back and forth. I've never had any surgeries. I just don't want to go that way. But I'm finally okay. I play a lot of paddle tennis in Venice Beach, California, and I'm starting to play tennis. Brad Gilbert now lives in my neighborhood, my old buddy and my old doubles partner. So we are playing. We're playing twice a week. We hit for about 45 minutes and get the heck off the court. We don't want to bore each other out there and hit too long. So I want to make a comeback. You know, I really do. Um, I just, it's all just keeping the body together so I can play. I love singles. I, I don't love doubles. I just like the workout of singles and, and the strategy behind it. So um, I'm looking to play more, maybe try to get back into some national tournaments for my age. I love it. What do you, what do you say? Ten, tennis in the morning? Uh, po- <laughs> it, tennis in the morning, the track in the afternoon? Bob used to sing and say, tennis in the morning, poker in the evening, racing in the afternoon. And he would jump into the ice-cold plunge pool get his jacket on, and go to Santa Anita Racetrack. That was his life. He I'm had a great you. life. And anyone who grew up with eight is enough uh, will, will be surprised to hear that. But uh, this is great. So so Seven Days to Vegas is is out. Um, did you say you could get It's on Amazon Prime, you said? I just want to be sure. Hey, it's out. Seven Days to Vegas is out in select theaters in certain cities. But it's on uh, Amazon, and it's on iTunes, and Redbox, everywhere now. It's going to be spread everywhere. It just came out three days ago. And it's doing terrific. And it's The Hangover Meets the Sting, Seven Days to Vegas. Please rent it or buy it. Check it out because it is, it's a blast. It is great for anybody that likes action and, uh, and fun and excitement. And the con. Who doesn't like those three? Um, make, yeah. a tennis, make a tennis movie next. I want the Vince Van Patten movie, uh, the, the kid who's hitting balls against the wall at the studio lot and doesn't play junior tennis yeah. and beats John McEnroe in pro tournaments. I want that movie next. Wow. Okay. I'll try to do it. Hey, no, someone came to me to do the documentary, and I'm, I'm, I'm entertaining that idea. But it's a lot of work, and you gotta, uh, you're got going back in time. But thank you for yeah, the compliment. And uh, we could use a good tennis movie for sure. That's, that'll happen. Um, all right. That's great. Thanks, uh, th- thanks. Thanks so much. Seven Days to Vegas. We will uh, put all the links on the show page. And uh, good, good luck with it. But, uh, man, 
Th- think about that tennis story. That's um, that's that's a classic. It's a good one. Yeah, and I even I I didn't even go into it, but I have some more stuff that were really like underdog things that are all true. And so uh, I like to kind of show that when when it's true, because then it inspires others to do they could do anything, you know, possibly. So I will okay. think about that. And thanks so much for having me on the show. All right. Good luck. Thanks, Vince. Take okay, John. Bye bye. All right, thanks to our guest, Vince Van Patten, for stopping by. A little bit uh, of a different type of podcast this week. Thanks, as always, to Jamie. And we will have another guest next week. Thanks, everyone, to listening in. Subscribe, send your comments. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Have a good week, and we'll do it again on October 9th. (laughs) 